Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Astros Baseball. My guest today is Jake Kaplan, uh, the Astros beat writer for The Athletic and the co-host of the Crawford Talks podcast with Mike Meltzer. Jake, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So we spoke earlier and uh, I was telling you how I listened to your podcast yesterday and let me start this. Let me ask you this first. Who came up with the name? That's a very clever name. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you think so. Uh, it's funny. I, that was like the hardest part, actually the second hardest part of launching the whole thing. Um, you know, the, the, the first challenge was finding a, a, a seasoned uh, co-host who could kind of guide me through the whole podcast thing because I've never done a podcast before mm-hmm. so that, that that's where you know Mike Meltzer has proven to be the perfect fit for that so that was the first task and then the, the other part was finding a name and it was more challenging than I thought it would be mm-hmm. um, I think space puns were the first you know we ran through a lot of different space pun ideas mm-hmm. and uh, eventually I just crowdsourced not on social media but through like creative friends and the Crawford talks uh, was one of the responses from Levi Weaver, who was our, our Rangers reporter and a former musician and just like one of the most creative people I've ever met. So he actually didn't love it. And it was like his eighth favorite on a list of 10 that he gave me. Um, and, and I don't think it, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I think it's good. Um, you know, but, uh, it was just an interesting process to get there, and uh, I'm glad you like it because I haven't gotten a ton of feedback on it, to be honest with you, one way or the other. Well, as a podcaster myself, I have a pretty much name that I just didn't get very creative with it because when I when I came out with mine, you know, I'm not like a popular guy or anything, and I had to name it something that people would know what it was. But when I saw y'all's, when you know, when y'all first came out with yours, I mean, I saw the name and I saw the uh, the artwork, and I was pretty jealous. So that artwork's, pretty, the artwork's really cool. I will say, I think I think that kind of makes the name uh, work. Just having the whole package there, um, you know, and and yeah, I think you know we would have been fine with any name, um, you know, with the athletics backing, but. Uh, I'm glad that we found a name that at least one fan likes. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, I saw it, liked it a lot, jealous of it. I'm jealous of the name and the artwork. All right. So anyway, on your last episode, you talked about 
the Red Sox, uh, I was going to say Red Sox scandal, but the, uh, the release of the, uh, the findings from the, uh, commissioner. And so there was other things I wanted to talk to you about, but this now jumps ahead, number one on the list. And I know you just talked about it yesterday, but now you and I are going to talk about it. So, so this is, this is my thought. You, you sent me the report and I kind of shared it with some friends. And after listening to your podcast, I came home, I read the report thoroughly. I read it all the way through and I agree with what you said. It's very redundant. They, re, they uh, repeated everything like three times. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I came out of it with was that I'm not mad. I'm not as mad. I was a little bit mad, and we'll talk about that later, but I wasn't mad at all with the findings and the penalties and all that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, this whole story, which really started, you know, the Astros part of it broke in November. The Red Sox part of it didn't break before January. Um if you read the original story by Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick about the Red Sox in January, uh, it was about a week before the Astros punishment came down. Uh, it says that it was a much less, you know, it, it indicates in that story that it was not, you know, the Red Sox were not accused of doing uh, anything like the trash can banging scheme the Astros did or, or anything close to the level of what the Astros did. And it was a much less egregious, form of illegal sign stealing still still against the rules but Mm -hmm. but not the same and so i think we knew that but a lot of people unfortunately in 2020 just read um either just read the headline or just read the tweet or just read the aggregated version of the story and um don't take the time to really go through and educate themselves on all the details that that are being reported and so like it wasn't a surprise to me that uh, based on off that reporting by my, my two colleagues, Ken and Evan, that that it, it turned the outcome was was as such on Wednesday of this week. But um, you know, I think a lot of people kind of just lumped the Red Sox and Astros into the same bucket, um, and obviously it's it's the same umbrella of of story. It's it's the same topic. It's illegal sign stealing, but it's not you know it's not as simple as saying every case of cheating is the same. Right. So the uh, Houston came out and everybody knew that was really bad. But the, the when they told the story about Boston, it was just, from my knowledge, just stealing signs when they had a runner on second. So I kind of knew that it wasn't going to be as bad. I didn't expect it to be as bad either. So Let's let me go over the uh, report real quick. Um, if Houston fans read the report, they may not be angry. That's just my little notes. So this JT Watkins guy, that's his name, the video replay system operator in 2018, some accusations utilized game feeds violating the rules. It said his conduct was revelant on 19.7% of the time when the Red Sox had runners on second. So I guess the 19.7 is just when they had a guy on second. And it says here it was far more. I think the 19.7, not to interrupt you, but I think. 
Oh, go ahead. I think the the nineteen point seven figure in there is um, the league average for um, percentage of plate appearances uh, with a runner on second for that season. Just to show, oh, okay. I think Rob Manfred's intention was to show like how frequently it it could have been effective. I don't think he knows. He definitely doesn't know how often it, they used it or how often it was effective for for like down to the percentage, but that was the average amount of times or percentage of times in right. in that 2018 season for runners on second base. Okay. So it said it had a, a far more limited in scope and impact than Houston in 2017. So we realized that, you know, they just did it when they're on second. And it said, I did not find Cora, the coaching staff, the front office, or most of the players knew or should have known that Watkins was updating pregame analysis with in-game information. So the communication limited to Watkins and limited to a number of Red Sox players. So according to this, it was just Watkins sending information to the team, but it was only a handful of guys. Yeah, it's it's um it, it's unclear exactly like like it sounds like they interviewed everyone or as many people as they could and got you know some conflicting answers. If at least that's that's what the report makes it sound like um, from the players. So um, yeah, I don't know. I know a lot of people find it hard to believe that Alex Cora wouldn't know about such activity going on and. I definitely understand that skepticism. Um, you know, you would think the manager would know like everything that's going on, right? And on any team. So um, I get that part of it. Um, when, when people bring up that as a, I think that's a, a fair question to ask and something a lot of people have asked. Now, he obviously didn't get punished for this. He got punished for the Astros, his role in the Astros scandal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the GM of the Red Sox in 2018, Dave Dombrowski, was fired last year. So, I mean, he's not—he ha- he wasn't punished, but he's already out of the out of the game right now. Um, so, I think some people were mad that, or thought that, um, you know, there should have been more punishment on the Red Sox leadership. But I'm not sure how much um, difference it would have made since. Both Dombrowski and Cora have already been, you know, either fired or uh, the team has parted ways with them. So it looks like if you read uh, into it, there was one one part I read that said that one player actually saw uh, Watkins changing, or he was watching the live game feed and he was changing uh, his report. So. The punishment, this is what the punishment was. I find the Red Sox consistently communicated the rules to non-players and staff. Uh, Watkins suspended pay without pay in 2020, prohibited from being a replay operator in 2021. Club forfeits second-round pick. So like you said, he investigated 65 witnesses, including 34 players. Uh, but the it says the Red Sox granted access to all electronic communications. Uh, they gave access for interviews, their cell phones, texts, and emails. 
So they did comply with the investigation, and a lot of uh, Astro fans are saying that because the Astros got in trouble, that they clammed up and they wouldn't admit to anything. Yeah, I think um, I haven't heard much of that, but I also haven't really been, um, you know, on on that uh, on Twitter a ton uh, in the mm-hmm. last few days. Um, I mean, you could you could allege anything with anything, right? Like, I mean, I, I tend to trust uh, people more than than not, um, but I mean, I think if anyone's prerogative to you know, if they if they don't believe something, that's on that's on them. You know, they they don't. They cannot believe something. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I have heard some people say, like, just because they were given, the players were given immunity doesn't, you know, they don't think that that equates to necessarily them telling the truth. But, like, I don't, you know, I think in a situation where you're meeting with however many players individually, um, you know, it seems like the truth is really the only way to go, uh, especially if you have immunity. You're, you're risking a lot in a situation where, you have immunity, um, and you don't tell the truth, and you're relying on all the other people to have the same story as you, right? So, like, I, I really, I just, with all that, all those factors, like, once you have immunity and um, you you know that they're going to be asking the same questions of everyone, like, I don't see how you could really lie. Yeah. And in the Astros case, you know, we didn't really we heard about cooperation, so I. I in the Red Sox case, we heard about cooperation. So I, I don't know. I just tend to believe that people generally, when when confronted with you know this type of situation, would would tell the truth. Um, but yeah, I guess people are going to believe what they what they want to believe, right? Right. And so this is my take from reading the report. This guy, his job was to get the signs. He, he was uh, he was the guy that got the signs electronically from previous games so that he could lay out the game plan. And what he's accused of is changing those findings during the game. And what's hard for people to believe, and this happened to me as well, when, when I saw that only this guy and a hand few people knew, I was puzzled. How did the manager not know? How did only this small group of people know? But this is this is what I think happened: is that you have all the iPads in the in the uh, dugout. So this guy probably wants to be perfect, and while watching the game, he kind of noticed that he got some signs wrong, and he wanted to fix it. And so it's not like he called the dugout and said, hey, I got this wrong. So that's how I'm taking it. How, how did you take what this guy actually did? Well, the iPads in the dugout are not, they don't have internet hooked up to them. So they're just strictly um, old videos. Like used, for example, if, say, um, Chaz Rowe of the Rays is coming in for the seventh inning, you can pull up his last few outings and see his arm angle and how the ball comes out of his hand and that kind of stuff. Um, Do you know where not, this report is that these guys see about him doing the signs? So sign, the signs is, that's from the video room, which is 
unrelated to the the iPads in the dugout. The video room is generally like behind the dugout or in the clubhouse somewhere. Um, I'm not exactly sure where it is in the Red Sox. So, he, so he's close enough just to tell them if they come over to the monitor or something, right? Right. So they theoretically, in these situations, like you could have, I think the report described, um, or maybe it was a one of our stories, I forget, but like you could have like a runner, like someone who's in the video room, because players can go in the video room during games, mm-hmm. uh, and, and many do to watch video of their bats or So when the story about the Red Sox came out, and I'm as guilty as anyone, 
I thought the replay room was sending the signals live to the dugout so they could send it to the guy on second. That's what I thought was going on. And now what I want to let all the people listening know is that that's all the guy did was changing the, uh, he was updating his pregame analysis with in-game information. That is all they did. Which you can't do, um, against it. You know, you just can't do anything that uses in-game technology, um, technology in the game to change something you're doing in the game relating to sign stealing, which is kind of impossible to police, right? If you think about it, since you are uh, a starting pitcher, say it's a Friday night, you're a starting pitcher who's starting the Saturday afternoon game. Mm-hmm. And you want to watch, um, you want to study the team and you want to study video during the Friday night game in preparation for your Saturday afternoon start. You're in the video room uh, watching on, on a computer screen um, and you see a sign, uh, you pick up something with a sign. Um, you're not, if you pick that up, even though you're just there to like prepare, mm-hmm. you can't go, uh, according to the rules, you can't go then once you're back in the dugout, be like, hey, hitter hit teammate, uh, this is what the new sign is. Like, that's technically against the rules. So there's just so much, like, I don't know. Like, it just seems, like, so obvious that this would be an issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you put a, uh, all these, like, um, technology, technological tools in front of people right behind a dugout that it would, like, it's, it's, it's pretty silly to me that MLB didn't see this coming right. sooner than they did. You know, like... I don't know. It's just yeah. You had to, you had mentioned on your you had mentioned on your podcast that it was the wild wild west. That's what it seems like it was. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Uh, I know that's the part that that frustrates a lot of Astros fans is they think um, you know it was a, a widespread and everyone was doing it, and we might never know exactly the scope of what else was going on. No, um, you know I, it's it. It, there was definitely not much policing of anything until September of 2017. Uh, that's pretty clear, but um, you know, we so we, we may never know uh, everything, but we do know what the Astros did in 2017 and 2018, and what the Red Sox did in 2018. Right, that's what I was going to say. For everyone listening, the Astros stole signs, sent them to the dugout, banged on trash cans. The hitter knew every pitch coming. The Red Sox video guy changed his, he updated his pregame analysis. That's to the extent of what they did. So for anyone to expect the same punishment is kind of crazy. Yeah, but but at the same time, like I get it. Like I know fans are, this is a a polarizing topic. Fans are are defending uh, the third defending their team um mm-hmm. you know it's my job in the media to to be um an impartial observer um and so um you know i it's my job to kind of do my best to explain what's going on from um my perspective but you know i i don't you know blame any fans who are passionate about this and i think yeah it's that's what 
what sports is, right? We, mm-hmm. you know, sports fans, that's why people like sports. They get passionate about it. And I was, uh, when I was a kid growing up in Philadelphia, I was surely, um, you know, I probably had some, some opinions on what, what the Eagles were doing every year and losing the right. NFC Championship game. So um, I definitely understand. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, when you look at the Red Sox and the Astros cases, um, they're just the the evidence is just so different for each side. I think in the Astros case, you have the audio, the video evidence of the trash can bangs and then the pitches, yeah, um, and and the outcomes of all those at bats. And you also have, you know, the start of that investigation. MLB had the you know on the record testimony of a player from the team uh, in the Red Sox case. There was no audio or video evidence or on the record, you know, testimony. So they're just just very different different cases. Right. So so that was kind of my point about talking about this right now. It's just if you're a Houston Astros fan, just read the report. If you read the report, you will you will definitely see the differences if you don't already know in, in the Astros and the Red Sox. So let's go to this. In 2017, the Red Sox received sign information from the replay room, and this Watkins guy was the replay operator in 2017 as well. And that's when they got caught with the Apple Watch. So this guy's a two-time offender here. So they sent out the memo to all owners, CEOs, presidents, general managers. Future violations will be subject to serious sanctions, including forfeit of selections in the draft, which they did. Each general manager and field manager will be held accountable. So you've got a guy that's done it twice, and now he's, I guess he's kind of gone. I I guess they wouldn't bring him back. But uh, I don't even know where I'm going with this. But uh, (laughs) Well, the thing that I thought was interesting was, um, like, they suspended him for the 2021 or the 2020 season and said he couldn't hold that replay uh, job in 2021. Like they're probably, I don't know if there's going to be a replay room in 2021. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's the one, you know, like I think the one question that's going to linger from this is like whether or not you believe that it was a lone wolf. Right. And I, and I, you know, the report paints this Watkins guy as, as the lone wolf. Uh, rogue agent type, um, and I think people are going to have varying opinions on that um, that that perspective uh, in the report. But yeah, he was he was their um, in 2017. He, he was there uh, in the same role, and in the in the report, it outlines how he was forthcoming about that incident mm-hmm. um, and denied this this 2018 allegation. So. There's a lot of, uh, it's a lot less of a cut and dry investigation uh, compared to the Astros one. And that's why it's like twice as long, uh, or part of the reason why it's like twice as long. And it, it seems like in the Red Sox report, answer, it really goes out of its way to like explain things yeah. multiple times. And uh, I know some people thought it was weird that he was, he was including the Astros stuff in there. Um, but I think it was like his um, way of like, adding context and showing the differences where he could uh, and kind of anticipating what people are talking about 
after this came out. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird situation. I'm not sure, like, kind of back to my last point, I'm not, you know, if, if three, four years ago, did, did fans even know that this, like, replay uh, role existed? I mean, I guess they did because there was probably stories written about these, these, you know, the replay room and, and, and stuff once that opened in 2014. But um, it's just, like, it's become, like, the biggest I just thought they had the TV in the dugout. I didn't even realize that there was a guy that was in charge of the replay room. I, I didn't even know what was going yeah. on. So, in the Astros case, it used to be like the room was like kind of in the clubhouse. And then a few years ago, they moved it. to It's like right behind the dugout, to like right by where um, like the players walk up the stairs um, to get back to the clubhouse. So it's, it's a pretty quick... Uh, walk uh, mm-hmm. from one to the other. Okay, well, I'm going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. I want to talk to you about uh, how Luno didn't pass the uh, memo out, and Boston did, and then I got a couple more questions for you. We'll be right back, folks. You're listening to Astros Baseball. All right, folks, we're back with uh, special guest Jake Kaplan, Astros beat writer for The Athletic. Now I want to ask you about well, I'm not asking you about this, but let me let me bring this up now. So Luno never passed the memo out. The the uh, they sent the memo. I spoke earlier. All CEOs, presidents, they sent it out. Give it to your players. Give it to everybody. And Luno never passed it out. And Dombrowski, he's the general manager for Boston, as far as I can see, or he was. He said, make sure that the staff receives a copy and understands the rules. Give a copy to the players and make sure they understand. And the commissioner said, I cannot fault Dombrowski. It's apparent that any failures to comply with the rules was in spite of front office efforts. And this is his answer to why their general manager and their manager didn't get uh, in trouble, however you want to say it, but they're not even here anymore, so it's impossible anyway. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would be something that you could theoretically prove through um, digging through email records and Slack records and text messages, and you know, um, I assume that's where they're getting that from is that you know the Red Sox disseminated the information. Uh, I guess you could argue that. You know, is that enough, you know, to absolve someone of blame? Uh, just kind of passing them the rules and saying, here you go, figure it out for yourself. You know, mm-hmm. I, I guess you could argue yes, you could argue no. I don't know uh, where, where, where to fall on that. But you're right in your interpretation. That is why, or at least that's how, how Manfred rationalized it, why he didn't uh, punish the Red Sox leadership. If you look at what Jeff Luno did after the uh, code breaking thing came out, he was making claims that, oh, well, I received those emails, but I didn't I didn't read it all the way down. So I didn't see the bad parts. So that's another thing the Astros had that was bad that didn't happen to Boston. Yeah, I mean, the, the code breaking stuff uh, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. Um, 
you know, didn't make it into the report, which I thought was interesting in retrospect. I mean, that was, um, you would think that they would put all the information in, but for some reason they didn't think that part was uh, important for the public to know. And then it leaked out for the Wall Street Journal later. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, I, going through a team's, um, Communicate, use of communications, whether it's emails or texts or Slack, um, you know, is a pretty good way of investigating a team. And it's, um, you know, it's pretty clear what Manfred thought of uh, after doing that, what he thought of uh, the Luno operation and what he thought of the, the Red Sox operation and just from organizational standpoints. There was already talk about how Luno was already kind of disliked in the Major League Baseball, uh, what do you call it? The, the uh, neighborhood, I don't know what you call it, the the MLB world, that because of how... The reputation, like, of, they kind of have of being kind of a cold corporate, you know, team who fired all the scouts and cut costs uh, for the sake of cutting costs. That was kind of the reputation. Uh, and then you, you throw uh, you Asuna trade on top of it. You throw the Brandon Tubman incident on, on top of it. Um, there was kind of just a lot of different uh, aspects to it that, you know, that kind of piled up and, and yeah. you know, led to that reputation. Yeah, but before that, what I was going to say is how they broke the team down. And a lot of people were upset with the Astros, the way they built their team as well. Yeah, I don't know if that was as much. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, uh, I don't know how if, if, like, that would upset um, everyone, right? Like, I think didn't the Cubs do? I mean, the Cubs wasn't as drastic, but yeah, re- rebuilding. You know, so many teams have done it now. I know the Astros are one of the first to do the dramatic tear down and rebuild, but I don't really know if that was played into it much. I think it was more the other stuff that. Um, you know, it's important to treat people well and to not um, forget that. And, and it seems like they just try, you know, the win at all cost mentality. Um, you know, everyone wants to win, but you have to do it, you know, quote unquote, the right way. And um, you can't do it at the expense of, of treating humans well. I had three questions for you, and I think we already answered two of them. Uh, one of them was the general manager and manager are supposed to be held accountable, but they weren't kind of already explained that a little bit. And the replay room guy was a two time offender. So I guess one, what I want to say about that is what's your thoughts on this? The Red Sox were fined for the Apple watch thing in 2017. And then they get warning, don't do this again. And then 2018, they get in trouble for breaking the rules again. And what they got was a pretty light penalty for being two yeah. years in a row. They broke the rules two years in a row. I mean, they the rules weren't that bad, like the second one, like I'm saying the Watkins thing this year, but I mean the 18. But I mean, they did it two years in a row, and they did it this the year after they got in trouble for it already. Yeah, I think it's a fair criticism um, of the punishment. I think in Manfred's explanation, he considers 
he he says that he considers the the uh, the first penalty. Uh, he considers them as suits on the fender. Um, you know, maybe you know you could you would think that that would lead to a harsher penalty, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a fair it's a fair criticism. Uh, yeah. It's also like. Uh, there's also like it depends on your opinion of how valuable the second round draft pick is, right? Like, um, if this Astros case had never happened, and the Red Sox case was the first case we were hearing about any of this, I think our our view of the second round pick would have been different. But it's kind of distorted. Yeah. Uh, after you see another team lose two first, two second, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's that September 2017 ruling on the Apple Watch is going to go down in history as like this huge monumental thing because that really started. Um, it seems like that really started the clock, right? That was when Manfred put teams on notice. That was when they really started to um, police this stuff. And here we are, you know, two years later, two and a half years later. Um, you know, and, and looking at two of the, you know, best teams in baseball uh, reeling from, from scandal related to, the, to cheating in, you know, after Manfred put teams on notice. All right. So this is a – I was going to tell you while I was listening to your podcast the other day, you'd get to a point and I kind of thought y'all were done. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to ask him about this. And then you covered it. Okay, well, I'm going to ask about this. Oh, you covered it right at the end, but you, but uh, y'all covered this one part where you were talking about how Astro fans think it's kind of like a bias that they're a small market team, and that uh, you know Boston and New York they're they're not going to get in trouble because they're the money makers. But th- this is an example Here that yeah, but this is an example that I got from Twitter, from someone that I follow and that I'm friends with. And he brought this up. He said the replay room guy, and he may not have read the whole report, but the replay room guy takes the fall in Boston. And the guy who puts the air in the football takes the fall in New England. So two times you have these two teams in the New England area breaking the rules. And both times it's just a little, Fall guy, because yeah, it's interesting. Because I mean, I, I, the two different governing bodies, right? Like it's not yeah. like MLB is investigating the play game, NFL is investigating the Red Sox, right? Um, I don't know. I think a lot of that's like fun for Twitter, but at the <laughs> end of the day, I don't, I don't put much stock in like the conspiracy theories. They are, they are fun to talk about and to speculate about. We all do it, yeah, but. Um, I just I don't think like there's a conspiracy against small market teams and MLB wants the big market teams to do better. Like I think uh, they were just they were pretty happy to market the Astros in 2017 when they were in the World Series and they were the shiny big toy and everyone loved all their exciting athletic players that they hadn't really seen much before. Like I, I just don't think uh, I think you know the people who hold these conspiracy theories are usually a fan of one of the teams that's 
impacted right. uh, by that conspiracy theory, right? Yeah. So living in San Antonio, that's how the Spurs fans are. If they don't win a game, this is back when Tim Duncan was here because now they're not that good. But if they didn't win a game, it was because the NBA didn't want them to win. They could never, ever accept the loss here. It's just how it's just the culture of the small market team, and that's exactly. I mean, the Spurs so have you, never why lost the NBA a game. Let, why the NBA let them win two lotteries in that short span if they hated them so much? That's what I told <laughs> I them. I mean, that, I would have taken Tim Duncan over Keith Van Horn as a Sixers fan. Yeah, how did how did you win five NBA titles if the if the NBA doesn't want you to do it, right? So yeah. it's it's there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's all it's fun to, to think about. I mean, I don't know, like yeah, what's the the one the one about like the is it the Ewing the Ewing pick that the, the the lottery story? I don't know, but like the there's a lot of like you imagine if. Baseball had a draft lottery. There'd be even more of this, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't. I think it's, it's fun. It's it's part of being a sports fan. I think to have funny, fun theories about things, but most of them are not rooted in actual reality. Right. So you can kind of see how people would not believe that Tom Brady had zero idea that this guy was doing like. With if you go back to the New England thing, there's it's hard to believe that this guy would just let out the air of the footballs on his own, but they got away with it, and that's kind of what they thought. So anyway, I mean, do, do they get away with it though? I mean, uh, I guess by winning, you could say they do, but yeah. there's the part that we never talk about is the 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 part of the punishment we never talk about is the. PR stuff, right? The reputation stuff. Mm-hmm. And the court of public opinion thinks about you much differently. Even if there's no actual punishment, I still think that is a punishment in some respects, right? The, yeah. the reputation part of it. Uh, as an Astro fan, I think we really got a bad punishment. But the other people, like let's say the Dodgers, who we beat in the World Series the Yankees who they knocked out three out of five years, they don't think it's enough. They think all the players should be suspended and all that stuff, but it just depends on what side of the fence you're on. I mean, to me, I thought it was a pretty big punishment. Yeah. I, yeah, I thought it was, I mean, I don't know, honestly, like I haven't actually since January 13th, like sat down and said, do I think it was enough? Do I think it was, more than enough? Do I think it was like the perfect amount? Like I, I don't know um, exactly. And there's a complicated factor of you know Jim Crane fired the two people who were suspended. So yeah. in one respect, you could argue he circumvented a big part of the punishment, right? Like he got to pick a new GM and a new manager. Right. Uh, on the other on the other hand, he he fired the most successful. GM and most successful manager in the franchise's history. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a hard. I think it's hard to really judge, especially because it's unprecedented. No team had ever gotten punished so harshly. Partially, so um, you know the players as well. As part of the deal, the players weren't going to get suspended. I understand um, the, the the opinion by people that they think they should have, since they were the ones who actually did it, but. You know, I think 
sometimes like there's outside factors and the you know the Rob Manfred and MLB thought that they weren't going to get the investigation uh, the way they wanted you know run it the way they they wanted to get the the result they wanted the answers they wanted unless they gave the players immunity and I think if they hadn't there would have been a lot of um, fighting between the two sides and legal stuff that I don't even understand so mm-hmm. um, you know it is what it is like this you can have the opinion that the players could have been suspended um, but it wasn't going to happen just because of those those dynamics with the, the MLB and MLBPA do you think it was fair for the Astros to take Tampa Bay's general manager or he wasn't the general manager at the time but you know how uh, Tampa Bay their fans were kind of complaining that it wasn't fair that the Astros took uh, James Click, that they should have taken someone that didn't actually have a job at the time. Do you agree with that? I mean, they were playing within the rules the Astros were by hiring James Click. Um, so, like, I don't really agree with that. Like, they, they, were, they weren't offered any restrictions um, in their hiring process by MLB. But at the same time, I understand that standpoint from the race side. Like, you just lost Kyle Bloom to the Red Sox. He's their GM now. He was your number. He was your VP. Uh, and James Click was, like, one of the next triumvirate to replace him. Yeah. And you lose him, too. Um, but, you know, I, I get the frustration on their side. But I, I, I don't think it was unfair. I think, yeah. you know, you can, only, you can only operate with the rules that are, you know, given to you, right? Like, you... You can you can consider um, how people will uh, consider how people will receive a decision, but you know I, I don't I don't know like if that you know I, I understood the take, um, but I, I don't know if I, I really necessarily agree with it. Yeah, I think the Tampa Bay fans kind of felt like uh, they were being punished. <laughs> and they, they, they yeah. are right. Like yeah. they, they lost. They, they only lost James Click because the Astros cheated. Yeah, right? exactly. I, I mean, I agree yeah, with it. I, yeah, I get it. But I also, like, I, I don't think MLB was going to be like, all right, Jim Crane, you can only hire right. uh, someone who's not working for a team. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he also know, like, he also <laughs> didn't have to take it. No, but, I mean, who's going to turn down a, <laughs> yeah. you know, There's only 30 of them, and yeah. you know, I never get another chance. So. Right. Um, yeah, I, I just like if you had said to Jim Crane, you only can hire someone who doesn't work for a team. Like your options are pretty limited. Um, you know, there's there's not many like I don't know, especially for what the Astros do, and they wanted someone who would come in and just inherit the infrastructure and all the mm-hmm. progressive things they've done. Like I don't really see like the uh, retread, you know, grizzled old baseball man coming in and and meshing with like the the, all the analytics and you know all that stuff as right. well as James, as well as James Clickwell. Yeah, I thought it was a good pickup. I, I'm pretty. Ex- I was pretty excited to see how he would do. Um, so let's go to this thing. Let's take. We'll get away from all the complaining and getting in trouble. Let's move forward to maybe having baseball this year. So the first thing we heard was the spring training thing, where half the league played in Arizona, the other half played in Florida. 
And then the next thing I heard was some sort of everybody goes to Arizona and plays in this biodome. I, I saw the word biodome and they were going to uh, quarantine everybody, play in Arizona. And the latest thing was Texas. They were going to play Minute Maid Park and in Arlington and I don't know where else. But what all have you heard about this? Um, not much more than than has been reported, or not anything more than has been reported by Kenneth Rosenthal, who's been on top of this uh, over at the Athletic. Um, you know, the, the Arizona idea came out first. The then it was the Arizona Florida. Then it was the Arizona Florida Texas. You know, I don't know if that was the order they bantied them about as ideas, um, but that was the order they they came out to the public. I. I think we should be weary of calling them like plans and more consider them ideas. I think, yeah. Um, you know, MLB's doing what they should be doing, right? And the Players Association, they're trying to find a way, if there is a chance of a season this year, they're trying to find a way to make it happen and throw around all these different ideas of ways it could work. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't know. We'll probably hear plenty more ideas by the time there, they, there is a go-ahead to to try to resume, but, um, you know, it's what they should be doing. It should be in the brainstorming mode of, of trying to figure out the most viable, uh, ideas. I heard something about the, uh, players making the big money that they would be the guys kind of deciding whether they're going to do this quarantining thing, being away from their family, uh, how much truth is it to that? Do you, do the players have to play if they're like, well, you're on the team, the season's starting, this is what you're doing. Do they have any choice? Yeah. I mean, there's going to be, a, there's going to be a lot of talk about, um, you know, I think say there's no fans in the stands this year. Um, and there's a shortened season. There's going to have to be some sort of agreement on, pay between the teams and the players, right? The mm-hmm. players are, are going to want their salaries. The teams are probably going to want to pay them less. Um, and so they're going to have to, if there is to be a season, they're going to have to agree. So in some respects, yeah, the, the players um, have a big say in, in whether this season, but uh, so do the owners, right? They could, they could, they could choose to just pay the players. So, uh, it's, that's going to be an obstacle that those sides are going to have to overcome for sure. And I think that's just added to the list, right? All the other obstacles that are in play right now for a season. So, um, if there's not a season, do the players get their full contract money? No, I mean, they're, 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 um, so there was a lump sum of 170 million paid out over that's going that's paid out over you know these first couple months of no games um that's not full money for some of these guys um so no it would it would be you know that if, if there's no season they were you know i think it would be interesting to figure out to see how they how they figure that one out i'm sure that would be another battle between the two sides uh, but i don't know i mean i've never covered one of these yeah situation you know and obviously no one's ever covered this type of situation but i've never covered a strike either so like the short season and and the whole all the financial that goes with it i'm kind of learning on the go here but yeah there would have to be some sort of agreement struck um you know on, on pay and that goes for not only the players but 
you know, these teams month to month are, are you know, deciding or not deciding to continue to pay their, their full-time employees, like their, their baseball operations staff, their business operations staff, and that's an ongoing topic, too. Right. Know, so far, a vast majority of the teams have agreed to pay through May, but, you know, um, with the way the economy is right now, it, you know, obviously everyone hopes that to keep getting paid at their jobs, but this whole situation just, just creates so much uncertainty in, in really every, every uh, industry. Yeah, we still don't know if there's going to be a season. What do you think? Do you think there's a chance? Yeah, I think I think there will be something. Um, you know, after tomorrow, my my take might be different. I've kind of fluctuated, but um, yeah, I, I do. I'm optimistic right now. I, I think I think there will be something. Um, you know, and I don't know which which of those plans. Or which of those ideas for locale is most feasible? Maybe there's another idea that is is the best that we haven't heard yet. But mm-hmm. um, it seems like some way of quarantining a group of teams in one location uh, would be the most feasible way to get something done. But um, I don't I don't really know. It's it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how it unfolds. So without any sports going on? Are you having a lot of trouble trying to find stuff to write about? It's definitely a challenge. Um, I think we've done a pretty good job of finding stuff to write about. I think the athletic has had a ton of really interesting stories. I think it's, you know, people have with, with no real live games to report, a lot of people have been able to really flex their creativity and, you know, um, tell stories that, um, are a little off the beaten path and probably you probably wouldn't have told in a normal if the season was going on right now. So that's in a way it's been like a, a nice little challenge in that respect to uh, find unique angles and be creative. But um, we definitely all miss sports and watching live games. And uh, you know, I was like everyone else locked in the NFL draft the other year. And, you know, just give me any sports right now. But um, you know, maybe the MLB drafts will be a bigger deal this year. You know, we'll, you know, I don't, there's been no word of when it's going to actually happen, but, uh, and it's going to be short, but, you know, that could be a nice uh, appetizer for a hopeful uh, shortened season down the road. So you began your, uh, did you begin your career in Philly? Did you grow up in Philly? Yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of Philly. And, um, I thought I saw in your bio that you wrote for the Phillies. Yeah, my my previous job. So before I became the Astros beat writer at the Athletic, I was the Astros beat writer at the Houston Chronicle, and before that, I was the Phillies beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, but I held a, a slew of jobs before that too. Um, so I'm in Philly. Um, one in, in Southern California. So I, I, I kind of bounced around. Were they always baseball jobs? Not only baseball. Um, you know, when I was in California, I was covering high school sports, and that did include a lot of high school baseball, um, which was awesome. Like, I, high school baseball, much like here in, in Texas, is great in Southern California. So I got to cover a lot of players who are now in Major League Baseball. Um, and then in Philly, my first job, 
before I be covered baseball full time, I was doing some baseball, but also a lot of football. And I was actually doing some boxing, which I loved, and some soccer. So I was kind of all over the place. Um, so really, like if you say 2015 was my first full time baseball beat year. Uh, so I've had 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So this, if there is a 20. Okay, Jake. Well, that's all I got for you. I do appreciate you uh, coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, hope you're uh, staying safe over there in San Antonio. Yeah, we're doing good. So tell everybody how they can find you. Jake Kaplan, that's where your uh, Twitter handle is, right? It's Jake M. Kaplan, because some uh, someone stole Jake Kaplan uh, from the <laughs> and I was pretty early to Twitter. I was I was really early to Twitter actually, um, and I still didn't get my my name uh, as a handle. But but M is there as the middle initial, the placeholder in there. So hopefully one day I can steal Jake Kaplan's back. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me even more so on the Athletic. Uh, you know our podcast, the Crawford Talks that you alluded to earlier, and also all of our stories. The Athletic is running. Uh, a 90 day free trial right now, uh, also. So, uh, take advantage of that by really just clicking on any story and you'll find the link to it. So, uh, hope everyone's, uh, you know, reading, even though there's no live sports, we're still writing. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot. We'll see you next time, guys. Thanks for listening. Astros baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.